Welcome to St. Paul's Lutheran Church in Saratoga Springs, New York, where we are gathered by God to share the love of Jesus. This week, we continue our Sacred Subjects series with writing. Here is this week's message from guest pastor Tom Fisher. As I said before, I'm going to preach on the gospel. I'll not be preaching on the epistle lesson today. Given the proximity of my wife and all these women up here, it's a good thing. I'm not going to take that bullet. But we are going to talk about the parable, which is a very difficult parable to understand, and we're going to unpack that in light of sacred writing, which is our task of today. And our children have done such a wonderful job of doing some of that already. Last week, we heard Pastor talk about that wonderful gift of God's Word. God communicated to us by His Word. All creation came in to being simply by God's word. God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God also inspired men to write down his words. Scripture we hear often, verily, verily, or truly, truly, I say to you. These words written down. We know that God's word is timeless. It's the same yesterday, today, and forever. But we know that we are not timeless. We had a birth and we will have a death. So God's word has been sent down to us through others through this inspired word. The book of John kind of sums it up for us towards the end. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you have life in his name. That's the sum of scriptures. Now, also back in ancient times, there were huge amounts of writings also that were not inspired. We have, for instance, the Palermo Stone in Egypt. They found medical books in China written on bamboo paper. We have the Hammurabi, written laws in Babylon. We do have inspired scriptures that we found from around the Dead Sea, the Dead Sea Scrolls. But there was another scroll that was found around the Dead Sea, and it was made of copper. So how do we sort out all of those writings from sacred writings? How do we know that our Bible, the scriptures, is true? How do we know it's inspired? How do we get comfort from these words? To do that, let's go back to that copper scroll that I mentioned. It contained an accounting with precise uh, locations and amounts of certain assets. And the amount of gold, the amount of talents of gold listed alone in today's numbers would be over a billion dollars. What a treasure map. Maybe that's what Indiana Jones will be looking for this coming time. These are the jokes, guys, okay? so <laughs> But these and other worldly writings don't bring us to Christ. Other scrolls in the same Dead Sea area do. 
And that brings us to our gospel lesson today. We've heard Jesus was teaching the crowds, telling stories and parables and so forth. But here Jesus brings his disciples, gathers them around. And now he has a striking change in tone. He goes from heavenly things to very worldly things. And in this parable, he deals with money. And it may seem strange that Jesus is contrasting faith in him with a strong teaching and the use of money. And actually, the, uh, the, the Greek in this is uh, mammon, which is everything that you buy with money, all of your possessions. When you go home and go into your driveway, that's your mammon. Unrighteous wealth is gathered from unrighteous sinful ways, and you uh, King James Version scholars know what that is, right? The unrighteous wealth. Come on. It's a tough room, tough room. <laughs> Filthy lucre, remember? It sounds so much better than unrighteous wealth. I'm sorry. But what is really happening is Jesus is contrasting this world to his world. He's contrasting the invented God of this world to the true God over all creation. And he's strongly contrasting our sinful nature to his heavenly mercy. So we have a parable. We got a rich man and we have a manager. The manager is dishonest. He embezzles, and he gets caught. The rich man finds out, calls him in, and says, I need an accounting. I need an audit from you, because you can't be my manager anymore. So the manager, being dishonest, continues to be dishonest even more and cheats the owner out of much of his estate by cooking the books with those who are indebted to the rich man. And a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning and normally a surprise ending. And this parable is no different. The surprise ending is that the rich man commends this manager for his shrewdness, illegal as it was. So here we have an owner, the rich man, commending a dishonest manager as a teaching of Jesus. And we ask, what is going on here? What is really the point? Why would Jesus focus on money in the first place? Why would Jesus allow the commending of a dishonest manager who shows no remorse? And why would Jesus focus on this as a primary teaching? Then Jesus hits us with this. Make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, you may be, you, they may receive you into your eternal dwellings. And then he goes on to say, one who is faithful in little is faithful in much. One who is dishonest in little is dishonest in much. This is a hard one to get our arms around so we have to move the manager aside. We have to move 
the money aside, and we need to focus on the rich man. When confronted by the mismanagement of his estate, the owner, being wise, would have expected more dishonesty, which he got. But the owner did not punish the manager for this dishonesty. In fact, he had mercy on him. We would consider it unwarranted mercy, very unwarranted mercy. He used the means at his disposal, the written ledger of debts, all counting on the mercy of his boss. So we have the earthly meaning of the parable is easy, it's money, and the mismanagement of it. But the heavenly meaning is this God over all creation, even money, creator of heaven and earth. And it's hard for us to understand that God's plan for our lives is in stark contrast to the ways of the world that we are steeped in. I was talking about baking with uh, one of our members a couple of days ago. And we're talking about putting a, a, a cake in the oven. And when a cake is in the oven, how does the kitchen smell? It smells wonderful. These are the fruits of faith. But I also told the story of one of my mother's birthdays. And my mother always made the cake. But my father wanted to surprise her and bought a store-bought cake, which was very unusual. It was in a nice box, and he didn't know what to do with it, so he put it in the oven. See where we're going with this, don't you? Mom wanted to do something special as well and make a nice dinner with baked potatoes. So Mom preheats the oven, and she and Dad are out reading the paper on the porch. The smell emanating from that oven was not pleasing. And me and my two brothers spent the next couple hours in the backyard far away from my parents. <laughs> but that's our sinful nature. Our sinful nature is evident by our deeds. Evident, and it just oozes out of us, whether it be a wonderful, pleasant smell or dishonesty. And when we look around our world today, we see that smell coming out of the oven everywhere. And we see people that don't believe, that aren't in Christ, go to great lengths to preserve the mammon of the day to their benefit. We see that all around us. They go to great lengths to maximize their mammon, all focused on them, focused on their future. They're all so short retirement. And everyone around them can see this clearly. And friendships are made towards that end. They know their broker's name far better than they know the name of the fellow that washes their Mercedes. Oops. But the problem is, what Jesus is really saying here, that the children of light, those in Christ, should be doing the same thing regarding their eternal salvation. But we rarely don't. In fact, 
We are the managers. We are those who are dishonest. We sin. We just said we sin. C.S. Lewis once remarked that we are either thinking about sinning, sinning, or repenting of sinning. That is our life. We are that dishonest manager. And when we sin, we think of ways to get out of that sin by sinning more. That's our nature. What Jesus is getting to is like the dishonest um, manager, we should understand that we are in big trouble with our sins. We should understand that we are going to have an accounting as well before the Lord. And we understand that the penalty and punishments of our dishonesty without repenting of these sins and salvation is not pretty. We should be maximizing our mammon not towards worldly things, but towards our eternal life. All of our investments, our work, our planning should be geared towards heaven. Being stewards of what God gives us, which is fine, which is much. But coming out of our oven should not be greed and hate and trying to climb on other people, thinking other people are less than us. Pastor had a series earlier on the fruits of the Spirit. Remember the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. This should be coming out of our oven. This should be how other people see us. And we make friendships with those that may not be so friendly. Because they need us to be that witness to them. They need us to see that there's something different in the world. And so our parable brings us back to that question. How do we sort out in our sinful world, in our sinful lives, how do we sort out that sacred writing that we can use? How do we sort out the good words that we can live by? How do we get comfort? From what God said. C.S. Lewis in his book, Mere Christianity, says this, and it's a little bit, C.S. Lewis, if you've read him, it's a little difficult, but I think we can work through it. He says, Christianity, which is really the Bible, tells people to repent and promises them forgiveness. It therefore has nothing to say to people who do not know they have done anything to repent of nor feel that they need any forgiveness. It is after you have realized that there is a real moral law and a power behind that law, and that you have broken that law and put yourself wrong with that power, it is after all this and not a moment sooner that Christianity begins to talk. And that's the spirit. That's the spirit working in our hearts. And when you have realized that your position is desperate, you begin to understand what the Christians are talking about. That's us. They offer an explanation of how we got into our present state of both hating goodness and loving it. They offer an explanation of how God can be this impersonal mind in the back of the moral law and yet also a person. 
They tell you how the demands of this law, which you and I cannot meet, have been met on our behalf, and how God himself becomes a man to save man from the disapproval of God. Good words. We are those that can bring that message of faith. We are the only ones that can bring that message of faith into this dark world. And then it's now our turn to write. Simple things like, thank you, Jesus, or our prayers that we will pray in a few minutes. And we already heard from 1 Timothy today. I urge then, first of all, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for everyone that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. And there is only one mediator between God and man, Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom, the testimony given in the proper time. And that's really all it boils down to. Prayer is a powerful tool that we can use to talk to God, and we write them down. I think Pastor said last week it was our letter to God. And prayer consists of three parts. Calling on the one God. We ask for something. And then we pray in faith. Comfort that God's will will be done, even though it may not be our will at the time. But it will be God's will. And we will see that in our prayers. We will call upon the one Lord. We will ask for various things and we pray in confidence that God not only hears these prayers but answers them. Sometimes yes, sometimes no, sometimes maybe, sometimes wait. And we leave here satisfied with the meal of our body and blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, comforted in the words Comforted in our knowledge of our communication with our Savior. Comfort in the knowledge that the inspired scriptures are indeed true. Are indeed a norm for our living. And are indeed, are indeed will generate that wonderful fruit of faith. And we can suppress that sinful nature. John chapter 20 again. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And we do. It is life abundant. And it is life eternal. Amen. And may the peace that this comfort brings us, that passes all understanding, guard our hearts and minds truly and firmly in Christ Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. For more information about St. Paul's Lutheran Church, please visit spalutheran.org. God's blessings to you. Go in peace and serve the Lord.